ordinary friends, everyone on the spectrum and in between. This is The Shudder Show, the show where we talk about the stuff on Shudder. I'm Ken Stacknick. And I'm David Marlowe. And today we are talking about 1981's Dead and Buried. It'll take your breath away. All of it. <sighs> Such a fun movie. <laughs> oh, Ken, how are you? Oh, I'm doing good, David. How are you today? Not too bad. Not too bad. Good to hear. Hanging in hear. there. Great. Well, yes, uh, as we were saying, we were talking about uh, the 1981 movie Dead and Buried, um, mm-hmm. which is an uh, 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 infamous uh, video nasty, uh, much like uh, last week's film. Um, and, uh, well, David, um, why don't you start by just telling us a few of your... First, what, what did you think you were getting yourself into? Well, this is an interesting one. And actually, like, it has a lot of similarities to what we've seen before, but it is very different in and of itself. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I think before I even go into any specific details, I think I should say for folks who are interested in seeing this movie, to check it out if you don't want anything spoiled for you, because I do think that this is one of those movies that in some way there it can be spoiled for you. Absolutely. Because it, like, it is a mystery. Mm-hmm. It Definitely is, so. It is pretty much, um, and I think you, you used a very good comparison to it. I, I said it's got a bit of Stephen King-esque mystery to it. Definitely. Where the idea of, is my wife fucking around on me? And then it turns out to be something completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and set in uh, uh, New England, so Sam. Yeah, set in New England. Yeah. It's, got, it's got that same tiny beach town. Uh, I would almost compare the look of it to Storm of the Century. Ooh, I, I don't know that one. Storm of the Century, oh, it's wonderful. Uh, Stephen King just—it was just a screenplay that he wrote, not even oh, okay. not even based off a book. He's just like, I want to write a screenplay, and he wrote a miniseries. Oh, interesting! And it premiered on, I believe, it was the Sci Fi Channel, and it was about this tiny New England beach town or uh, fishing village that had the huge this huge blizzard that came in, and everyone took shelter in the church, and the stranger comes out of nowhere and says. Give me what I want and I'll go away. And they're like, what? Fuck off. And he walks away and somebody dies. And he comes back and he goes, give me what I want and I'll go away. And he just like, the deaths start piling up and it's got that sense of mystery to it. Like, what the, like what the fuck does he want? And it's, it's like w- the whole time I was watching this movie, that was at the back of my head. And it's, it's really, you know, it's got that cheap production value that a Stephen King miniseries has, but it almost adds its own little charm to it. But, that, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about Dead and Buried. But it's, like, once again, it's, they're two very similar things. Yeah, now, it's interesting that you bring up Stephen King, because in my mind, the author who immediately comes to mind with this is Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Um, we got the same kind of, we got a craggy uh, fishing village. Um, we don't have a stranger who's coming down looking for uh, his, his, his past. But we do have an old man playing God. Yes, no, we definitely do have that. Um, uh, as well, as with many horror films, there's an old man playing God at some <laughs> level. Um, now, um, let's see here. I would also call this uh, like very much a gothic movie. Um, it's got definitely that kind of vibe to it. It's got uh, a lot of amazing atmosphere and smoke to it. A oh. lot of great stone, a lot of great texture. Everything is wet. Um, now, David, I want to ask you something. Where... So this movie is set, obviously. This is uh, set at, um, let's see here, uh, Potter's Bluff in New England. Where do you think this was shot? Oh. Part of me wants to say that this was 
shot on the opposite end of the country in Santa in Santa oh gosh maybe Santa Barbara that is actually not that far off oh really yeah Mendocino California so Northern California shut the front door yeah. um, that's why uh, yeah it's uh, it, it's really interesting especially if you've been to Mendocino because Mendocino does not have that vibe and one of the things that the cinematographer and the director really did was use a lot of interesting angles and blocking to really make the town seem much more claustrophobic and creepy and um would you say that this has a very the fog vibe to it too oh, definitely the fog yeah. is another movie i mean not just in the fact that this movie is filled with fog and haze yeah but like also the same kind of small town um literally i can't see where i'm driving why did you crash into that fence because i couldn't see where i was yeah driving. exactly um and if anyone's lived in those part of the countries before it might seem like a thing that happens in movies no that happens and it is just try scary. try driving over the hill into oxnard around four in the morning it's it's pretty foggy and scary on that hill now speaking of uh, Lovecraft Guillermo del Toro said Sherman has a incredibly perverse sense of humor he knows how to do very graphic brutal stuff with a very strange artistic sense he found the beautiful in the horrible and Guillermo del Toro cites this as one of three movies that he used a fake mustache to sneak into as a kid and the reason he did this for this particular movie now I just I'm imagining a tiny Guillermo, like, because I can't imagine him as a child. I just imagine a smaller Guillermo del Toro. That is, yeah, no, that is exactly with a fake mustache. Yeah, with a fake mustache, exactly in the uh, in the form of the mustache that he has now. Um, so, uh, um, and uh, let's see here. So, um, and the reason that he went to all of this trouble to go see this movie now uh, is that he actually loved one of the director's previous films, uh, which is called Deadline, or AKA Raw Meat, which is uh, just a, a great little mo uh, slasher movie that uh, is, uh, takes place in the tunnels of uh, London. And it is really groovy. Uh, it is one of uh, Edgar Wright's favorites as well. Um, and he loved that movie so much that he said that he was the only person who went to go see that movie um, because of uh, Richard Spencer, uh, sorry, uh, because of Gary Sherman, the director, and not why everybody else went to go see this movie. Because if you look on the poster of this movie, it says from the, from the writers of Alien. Yes, I did notice that. And you'd be, and you'd be very, uh, knowing that Dan O'Bannon wrote uh, the screenplay for Alien, and then uh, the story was by, uh, uh, let's see here, by, uh, by Shusett, uh, who uh, they're uh, credited as the screenplays for this. Um, you'd be like, oh, of course, Dan O'Bannon, Alien, another one of the great, um, uh, doing H.P. Uh, Lovecraft without doing H.P. Lovecraft movies. Um, of course, that totally makes sense. Except I found an, a 1983 interview where Dan O'Bannon disavowed this film. And not saying that he didn't like it, just saying like, no, no, no. Shusit, I, I did some writing on this, and then Shusit rewrote everything, and then used my name to get it made. Which is just an interesting... Which is... Which happens a lot. Which is Hollywood politics. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I would almost say that he's like, I, I will say this now, now that the movie has come out, and it's doing its thing, but I'm sure he was... Like, was he okay with it? Yeah, no, no, no. He, I mean, he definitely liked it. I mean, he definitely, and like, and if, if you look at the rest of Dan O'Bannon's uh, career uh, with From Beyond and so many of the other movies he had that have such a strong uh, Lovecraft influence, um, 
I just think it's important to talk about how this movie really is Ronald shoots its movie and not O'Bannon's by O'Bannon's yeah. own uh, admission. And let's let's be clear, like Schuster is not a slouch when it comes to writing. He's got a lot of story by credit, so it's clear he does a lot of rewriting and background work. But he also has the screenplay for King Kong Lives, which is super fun for uh, any of those big hit fans out there. But he also wrote the screenplay for Total Recall. So I mean, not not such a bad, not yeah, not such a bad credit to have. No, a bunch of like just a bunch of very talented people. And this just happens to be earlier in their career when they're they're doing pretty, pretty all right. There's a lot of that going on uh, in this movie. Um, one of the other uh, big people on this, obviously, the cinematography is uh, done by Steve Poster, who uh, also shot. Interestingly, it's just a weird crossover from last week. So last week I gave you the option of two movies: Next of Kin or Dead, Dead and Buried. Yes, and I had a really hard time choosing between those two because they both looked fascinating. Now, what's interesting is I also mentioned. Now we're not talking about the Patrick Swayze Next of Kin. Steve Poster shot. Patrick Swayze next of kin. It's just one of those weird connections between our episodes. I love Hollywood. Um, he also shot Donnie Darko, Southland Tales. Um, he shot Madonna's <laughs> Like a Prayer music video, Rocky Five, and also did Cats and Dogs. So like he's he's had a real kind of up and down career. He's done a the little bit of everything. The kids film Cats and Dogs. This very same one. Um, yeah, he's. I mean, after doing uh, after working with uh, Richard Kelly on uh, uh, is it Richard Kelly? Yeah, right. Who did Donnie Darko? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. He worked. He also did the box with him. Um, so it's clear that like working with him got him. Oh, some, I have. You know, I have success. seen the box. And I love that one. Yeah. No. 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 Uh, he, uh, Kelly's really up and down for me, but when he when he when he hits it, he hits it. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes he makes Southland Tales. Um, <laughs> now let's see here. Uh, music here we have uh, by Joe Rossetti, who um, is most famous for um, uh, winning the Academy Award for uh, the Buddy Holly story. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Um, He's been a longtime collaborator with the director, and actually, um, he pitched Joe Renzetti to do the music originally. And the producers were like, "Oh, no, no, no! We've got our own people. Don't worry about it." He's like, "Oh, no, no! But my friend has been nominated for an Academy Award." And they're like, "Okay, yes, but come Monday, he'll just be another guy who hasn't won an Academy Award." And then he won, and so then he was like, "Can my friend do the music, please?" And they're like, "Oh, yes, of course. That would be stupid of us to say no to." So that's how we got on there. Um, and then the last person, at least in the, uh, the crew I really want to talk about, um, which actually I don't even want to talk about at all because there's nothing to say, because it's Stan Winston. Um, it's one of his earliest movies. and Really? Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a reason that all the movie, all the puppets and effects in this movie are absolutely banging. Oh. And now this is before Stan Winston is Stan Winston. So he's still like, he's still not dictating shots and like coming up with like, he's much more like taking, like, we want to do this. And then he comes up with these amazing models and puppets. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was one of his earliest films, and I there's nothing I can say about Stan Winston that hasn't been said by everybody else ever. Stan Winston is a player and a pimp, and we love him, and he's incredible, and he's one of the all-time greats. And there's nothing to say other than he's one of the greats, and if you want to see some amazing special effects and puppetry uh, work, this is a great place to go to see where a guy who's going to be at the top of his craft, who's going to be working on Jurassic Park and Terminator and The Abyss, and is going to be recreating... What we know as special effects is where he was at the beginning of his career. This is great to look at, just in the same way that like you can look at Friday the Thirteenth um, and some a lot of Tom Savini's early work and see mm-hmm. kind of where he went and then how he was able to transform and get more uh, uh, more nuanced and more uh, detail oriented and just like as his budgets yeah. grew, he was able to do more. And there's of course like I highly recommend if you guys are exploring Shutter, check out the Tom Savini documentary, which is wonderful. Oh yes, no, absolutely. That's 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 a great one. Uh, there's a lot of great documentaries on Shutter um, that uh, I really recommend people checking out because if nothing else, um, it's a great way. It, 
horror documentaries in particular are a great way to find a bunch more movies to watch because you can watch them and they give you kind of a clip show idea uh, a, a sort of a clip show series of movies that you might want to check out that give you a little bit of a taste um, and it lets you gives you ideas of of new things to explore and find out yeah and um, and we just want to say also uh, we are not affiliated with Shutter in any way uh, we just love their service we think they're uh, they've got an incredible selection um, and we just love talking about horror movies so that's why we did this because we wanted them to be uh, movies that you could easily find there's nothing more infuriating than finding about a great movie and then finding out there's no way to stream it no way to rent it and the DVD is a hundred dollars out of print yeah just like uh, Spice World indeed just like my very expensive copy of Spice World, which I'll never go give up. You can pry it from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> now, uh, let's move on to uh, who's in this. Now, cast is, um, I wouldn't say a murderer's row, but it's definitely got some people you're going to recognize. Um, let's see here. Our uh, sheriff is played by James Ferentino, mm-hmm. who um, is a TV guy who's on, like, he, he was in, he's one of those guys who never really hit in anything big that I recognize. He's the cheap man's Columbo. Yes, I would definitely say that's a good way. But like, it's a guy who did like ninety-one credits in like twenty-five years. It's a guy who worked a lot. He's yeah. on all sorts of TV shows. Um, let's see, we got Melody Anderson who's playing his wife. Uh, you would know her from Flash Gordon, um, which is uh, just an absolute camp classic. And if you're a fan of Thor Ragnarok, you should definitely check out the original. Other than not the original, the nineteen uh, eighties remake of uh, the serial Flash Gordon. Uh, let's see, we got Lisa Blount who plays the girl on the beach. Uh, at the very beginning, uh, she went on to go do Officer and a Gentleman, uh, Prince uh, Prince of Darkness, and actually in 2001, she won an Academy Award with her husband for Best Live Action Short, which is just one of those neat. Huh. Let's see here. And then we have uh, Jack Albertson, who plays Dobbs the Mortician, and you would recognize him as Charlie's dad from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I fucking knew it! Because yep. I was getting that vibe the whole fucking time. I, like... I'm just now learning. I am so excited about that. That makes me so happy. Thank you, Ken. Absolutely. He's also in the original Miracle on 34th Street. He's the one who uh, <laughs> hands the letter to the judge. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah. Uh, and he's also in the Poseidon Adventure, which is not uh, that surprising because literally everyone is in the Poseidon Adventure. It is a, it's a movie that stars quite literally everyone. Oh, and you're also forgetting um, a person who makes a very tiny little appearance here and there in the movie, Robert Englund. Oh, I, I, I'm not done. I just turned my page, David. Oh, you just but turned yes, you are page. correct. It is a very early performance. I was like, you're not Robert moving Englund. on without. Yeah, no, of course not. No, uh, no. Robert Englund is. A, this is one of his earliest roles. He was definitely not a star at this point. He was not Freddy Krueger at this point. Um, he was just a guy who that they really got along with the actor. He thought he was great. They'd worked uh, once together before, and so he brought him back for this. Um, and uh, yeah, he's really solid in it. You can definitely see why he you like. He was the, one of those actors that you were like, yeah. He's just naturally creepy but almost charming he's doing a lot without doing anything which yeah. is one of the very hardest subtle. things to do in acting but it, it, like I will say also this movie has a very missed coincidental opportunity to have given him the character name Freddy oh definitely so that is that is, <laughs> that is a bummer but if you can't travel in the future what are you going to do yeah um, there's also someone uh, Glenn Morshauer um, who uh, correct you had said uh, um, you would recognize from TV and played like he plays the general on like everything yeah right? yeah so Anytime they're like, oh, what are our options for the aliens coming into? He's like, Mr. President, I would recommend that we send nukes up to get them right away. That's the actor that you get is um, is more shower. And let me see if I can actually pull him up here. There he is. So yeah, you would recognize him from such movie like like he's in Twenty Four a bunch of times. You know, he's also in like Madam Secretary. He's in 
for God's sake, he's in video games like Wolfenstein 2 playing general, Nazi, no, Nazi like, generals. Yeah, totally, yeah. He, he plays every kind of general. Absolutely. Uh, let's see here. Um, yeah, kind of like Michael Ironsides in that way. Yeah. Um, now, one other interesting cameo that I have to mention because uh, I have a deep love for Bob Fosse. And it turns out the nurse in this movie is played by Jill Fosse, which is Bob Fosse's niece, who just happened to live in Mendocino, and so they needed extras, and so she came out. But yeah, she's a Fosse. And I love me some Fosse, and you should love some Fosse, too. Um, this is the nurse that walked out of the room before? Yes. That was like the... She's a super brief cameo. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, David. Yes. You as an actor. One of the things I wanted to ask you was, what do you think is the standout performance for this movie? There were three that really stood out. Um, for one thing, I, I it's throughout most of this movie, I think you would be hard pressed to find a bad performance. I think the only time you come across uh, a semi wooden performance would be with the the tourist family that comes in driving the car with their kid. Theirs is a little like, okay, this is kind of a campy performance. Outside of that, you you had amazing performances across the board. Um, standout, like, I think um, a standout would have to be the lead character, uh, Sheriff uh, Dan Gillis, who was played by James Frentino that you talked about. Uh, he's a very convincing lead that does... He, he's, he's just... He, his performance is very subtle. And at the same time, when he has to go to a very deep, dark place, he doesn't phone it in. It doesn't seem like anybody really phones it in. Um, he so, might be a lot of like Robert Forrester from Jackie Brown, mm -hmm. and like some of his early performances, like when he was an alligator. And he's got like, I, if you would cast Robert Forrester in this instead, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have been like, oh no, how did you, that, yeah. well, how that, did you get in here? Yeah, exactly. This is so miscut. No, like I'd be like, no, that's perfect. Yeah, you put Reese's Puffs into my Cheerio cereal. Um, and then, of course, I think, yeah, so it's between him, it's between Jack Albertson, uh, who played William Dobbs, and once again, I loved him so much. He was just such a character, and was so weird, you can tell there's a, something different going on with him, but at the same time, maybe he's just quirky. He adds to that mystery, and he adds to a, he adds a creepy sense of mystery to this film. The other one, which I didn't expect to be knocked out by, was the main character's wife. Um, was that Mel Melody Anderson? Was that it? Yeah, from Flash Gordon. Yeah. So throughout the film, you're like, this is a very charming character. I, I can totally understand why they're married. She is, like, for one thing, she's beautiful. Also, she's this really charming school teacher who's excited and has a lot of energy in her classroom. But then it's at the very end when the big reveal comes in and she walks into the room and knocks it out of the park. That performance so, is fantastic. Oh, it is stellar. Because the whole time throughout the movie, you're like, she's up to something. And then by the end, you're like, oh no, she's not. She doesn't know she's up to something. It's like, I... Once again, like this movie plays with subtlety well in its performances. Absolutely. Um, now, before we get too much into spoiler territory, yes, yeah, David, why don't you give us a quick? What would you say is the plot of this movie without spoiling? Um, plot of this movie: everyday cop in small in a small uh, fishing village, the size of a postage stamp, realizes that something isn't right about its inhabitants. 
that's about it. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that's pretty. I, I think like if you if you had to sum it up in one sentence, it's I think that's the easiest way to put it. Yeah. If you want to go in blind, I would say go like it, it's a good movie to go in blind on. It's a great movie um, to go in blind with. Now that said, it's still a movie that is a ton of fun, even if you kind of know what's going on. It's um, this this it's not. It's not a movie that's built entirely on a twist like Sixth Sense, where it's kind of like, well, it's never the same after the first time. This movie's fun whether you know the twist or not. The twist is just, it's a, I would say it's a cherry on a Sunday rather than the whole Sunday itself. Yeah. So with that, we're going to be going, uh, we're going to be talking about, um, well, we're going to be talking about why to watch this movie um, other than does it sound interesting? Because uh, if we haven't made, well, if the murderer's role people working on this hasn't made you uh, interested yet, then... Um, that I would say check out the trailer, and if it's not right for you, it's not right for you. Otherwise, let's get into some spoilery fun stuff. Spoilers! Exactly. Now, uh, before we go into anything too much, we oh, I also want to let people know, wow, this is really off the rails. Um, <laughs> uh, if, you, if there's anyone who's super sensitive to eye trauma, I would maybe avoid this movie. Uh, I know we've done some eye trauma in the past. It's not as traumatic as that one specifically, as the zombie eye drama. See, I would, I, I, I think it depends. Well, I think it depends on if you have a thing for eyes or if you have a th eyes thing for eyes and also a thing for needles. Um, yeah. Because if you got a thing for needles and you got a thing for eyes, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, this one's going to ruin your afternoon. But I feel like splinters and needles are in a very similar ballpark. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know a lot of people who are terrified of, of splinters. I know a lot of people who are terrified of needles. Did she plunge the empty? Syringe, like, did she push the plunger down? Was that what? So no, that particular effect. So first off, that entire person is a puppet. That seems easy, given that he was almost in a full body cast. Yes. Um, and then what they did was they drilled a very, very fine hole into the uh, into the the dummy or into the puppet. Yeah. Um, and then made it so the needle could fit in there perfectly, and then pulled it out, had the eyeball shut, and, did a reverse. and then played it in reverse. Now, Clever girl. when they filmed this, they sent it to the lab. And the next day, the cinematographer got a furious phone call because he didn't give them a heads up about what they were seeing. And apparently all the developers who were working on the film screamed and ran out of the lab because they were just not expecting <laughs> an incredibly traumatic shot, uh, which is the only way I can describe, um, yeah, the absolute, w one of the um, amazing pieces of this movie, uh, which is the puppet work in it by Stan Winston. Um, in particular, um, this eye stab, uh, I would say the rebuilding of Lisa Marie, and also say the upside down puppet in the car, which is a very much a Jaws yes. shout out, but one of the best That was Jaws a puppet? Oh yeah, the upside down, yeah, in the car, that's a puppet. Not an actor at all? Nope. That's a puppet. You're can we, um, can we, are we just, we've established we can curse on this podcast, yes. right? You're fucking kidding me, right? No, no, That was no. amazing. Yeah, no, and um, also, um, all of the layers of Lisa Marie in that rebuilding scene, like the skull built from scratch, mm -hmm. all oh, the layers Yeah, I know the shot scratch, you're talking about. And the, what they did was they, like, they, they film her from the side, and we see uh, 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 the uh, mortician pull back her eyelids and put in her eyeballs and we see that the holes are empty and then we pan up to him as he's looking at his great creation and as he's doing that they're wheeling 
underneath the camera, the one gurney out with the mob, with the puppet on it, and then the real actress in. And then they boom back down, and they reveal the real actress, and he's able to go in and kiss her, and then he walks up the God damn yeah. genius. Yeah, just, I mean, there's so much incredible, innovative cinematography, directing, blocking in this movie that that I think is, is absolutely fantastic. Um, were there any other uh, really great special effects uh, or, or bits that you wanted to, that, that you thought were great? The the death in the very beginning, the beach death. Oh, yes, where they, of course. Where, where, where they pour gasoline on an actor and burn him alive, which I'm guessing not real, obviously. But it was just... Everything about that death was so creatively traumatic. In the sense of it starts very Friday the 13th-esque. Well, it's the opening per- movie. So yeah, like, pervert, it pervert photographer guy. Well, I would not even say pervert. Like, he seemed like clean-cut, nice. Like, he's not, it's not Steve Buscemi. He's like, got blonde, curly hair. Looks really nice. Actually, interesting. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so I guess not pervert, but... But, like, well, all right. So, what's just interesting... Just uh, I mean, yes, in the way that all photographers are. Um, <laughs> it is... Um, one of the interesting things about the movie is one of the things the director talks about on the commentary track is that he originally wanted... Uh, he said, in retrospect, what he should have done is cast that part as the one star role. Like, and pull a psycho, or well, what would then be known as a scream, um, of casting a big star and then killing them off right away. Um, this gets... Because this opening is definitely one of... It was, <clears throat> it's pretty close to like a, a psycho or scream opening where like you are just not expecting what's about to happen. Um, guys wandering around a beautiful hazy beach, um, beautiful Mendocino, yeah. California. Um, even though it looks like New England, it was actually a totally sunny day. So they had to achieve that with all sorts of filters and nets um, in order to create what looks like kind of an overcast, foggy day, despite the fact that it was really clear. Um, and um, he's wandering around taking pictures of. Uh, crabs and crabs and nets and he finds a beautiful lady and she's like oh hey you want to take my picture and he goes well yes of course and she compliments his camera and he takes her picture and tells her you know that she's beautiful he's going to put her in playboy and she shows a little tasteful nudity then all of a sudden he's ambushed by a whole bunch of villagers she grabs his camera flashes him in the eyes with his uh, flash. He gets stabbed. He gets beaten. He gets taken, tied up in a fisherman's net, strapped to a post. They douse him in gasoline, and then they set him on fire. And this is like the first. It escalates very quickly. It is like the first six minutes of this movie, and you're like, "Whoa, hey, whoa, 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 what is happening?" And that is one of the great things about this movie is that it just it takes you for a ride from the beginning. Even that performance, like as he's tied to the pole as they're about to set him on fire. Just the idea that, like, like, oh, no, you can tell this person has been hit in the head multiple times, and you can see he's not all there until they pour the gasoline on him and he realizes what's happening. And the way that the net is just pressed up against his face, and I feel so bad for this actor, because I'm sure that must have been a very uncomfortable shoot. Um, but it was just so well done in terms of a solid kill scene. This movie really announces itself that it's off to the races and that it's going to be using every trick that it's got in its toolbox in order to impress you. It uses um, so many so many interesting bits of symmetry, camera moves that don't quite make sense or go through doorways or go through walls they're not supposed to be able to, shots that are done through windows, through a proscenium. Um, 
there's just odd framing, weird moving shadows in the background, just a lot of stuff that, again, that stuff that you see, like, again, in the work of, like, later on in Guillermo del Toro, that just kind of keep you on your back foot, keep you uneasy. Um, and I think, especially for the budget that they did this at, this was a $3 million budget, which, at the time, is kind of very low to mid-tier. Um, you're looking at, like, movies like Halloween was shot for, like, 325000 Um Friday the 13th was done for seven hundred. Um, scanners or Halloween 2 are both in this range. They're about 2.5 to 3. Um, but like double the size, you see movies like Hitcher at 6. Um, Alien was 11. And like Thing and American Werewolf were both at 10. So this is a movie that definitely had means and they use it. Mm-hmm. But it's not a movie that had all the tricks that they could. They couldn't do any everything that they wanted. So they had to be very, very selective in what they did do. And I think that's one of the, the main things uh, that uh, both uh, Schusset and German do is that they spend a lot of time really blocking out and designing all of the shots to tell the story as much as they could. Um, the uh, cinematographer said that um, to him, poetry is an economy of wor- uh, words, and cinema is an economy of shots. And I think that's a very good way of thinking about things, rather than say, like, to separate something like Friends, where, like, yes, it's shot, yes, it's on the screen, yes, it's telling a story. But it's not being directed. It's being selected. Um, and then there's a lot of movies that get shot today that are shot at like a, a 40 or 51 to, uh, 40 to 50 to 1 uh, ratio, which means that like for every minute on film, 40 minutes of film were shot. And, and then there are other movies that, 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 that like a lot of independent movies will shoot at like a ratio of 2 or 3. What was uh, Street Trash? Street Trash was like... Street Trash was probably 4 Three, four, somewhere in there. Um, they're doing a lot of st- long, steady cam shots, yeah. um, which cuts down on the the length of total film that you're shooting because you're doing bigger, longer shots rather than a series of individual ones. Okay, because you're just getting less coverage of the scene and you're getting more of the whole scene itself. I see. Because like, if you get the whole scene in the wide, and you get the whole scene in the medium, and a whole scene in another medium, and a whole scene in the, the close, another close, that's the whole scene five times. Where if you get the whole thing in one big, amazing one shot then every time like every every take is another duplication of that scene but it's not compounded by every shot and then every take as well yeah and that's actually one of the things that this movie does that's very similar to street trash um is there's a lot of really great wonders in here um and really nice long tracking shots um really really designed to um let the actors be in the space and move within it a lot of slow push-ins, a lot of wides that transition into mediums that then become zoom shots and then the rack focus. Really, really intricate stuff and really something that I think a lot of low-budget filmmakers should look at um, when they're looking for ways to get the most bang for their buck. Because yes, this movie does use sometimes um, cranes um, and expensive, uh, expensive gear to pull off some of the effects. Some of them are just like a really nice dolly back and truck over. Yeah, and, and and a lot of times, you know, some simple L framing like that can be just as elegant as Michael Bay spinning around uh, with a steady cam, or uh, you know, fifteen or twenty five shots of a scene, uh, Ridley Scott style. Um, uh, it's just, uh, it, it's a really, uh, it's a really old school, but at the same time, I think uh, consummate shooting style that um, we see get emulated a lot today. Um, but the fact that this guy was doing it back then as well as he was, I think is just, 
I think he deserves a lot more credit than he gets. Yeah. Now let's see here. Um, let's see here. Some more interesting production stuff I found. Oh, okay. So we were talking before about the kids scene in the middle. The witch scene. Oh the, yes. The scene the kid. Yeah. The kid. The, the family in the car. Yes. And the... Now, while, because they were shooting in Mendocino, um, the film office would not let them shoot during the night. So that entire scene, which takes place entirely at night, is shot in a tent. It's about a block large, so it can contain the house. So that way they can light the house from the inside of the tent so it looks like night. And then they had to put giant ventilation fans on so that way like nobody died in the tent and it didn't get overly hot. It sounds like half the budget. Uh, it, was, it was probably a, a huge chunk of the budget. Um, and there was a lot, of, a lot of big gripping kind of stuff going on here. In order to like, make the beach look overcast, you, they had to fly like a 40-foot silk over the beach with cranes in order to just like not make it look like hard. So this was like sunlight. a heavy production film. I mean, it's $3 million. It's, it's, it's a lot of money, but it's a lot of money. Like, for the time. For the time. Well, it's not even a lot of money for the time. It's kind of low to mid budget, but like it's, it's a lot of cheaper practical stuff. It's not spending all of your money on actors. It's not spending all of your money on um, getting the biggest names and special effects. They got a great up-and-comer in Stan Winston. So he didn't cost what Stan Winston cost a few years later or what like... Um, they got discount Stan Winston. Essentially, because yeah, he was he was up and coming at the time. You know, you're giving a, a dude like that a shot. And so a lot of times, when you give somebody who's got a lot of talent a shot, they're willing to do things, you know, for a little cheaper. I mean, it's pretty famous that Rob Boutin um, basically killed himself on making the thing um, because like he just wanted to make the movie the best he could, and it was his big shot. So he just worked like for a year straight, twelve hours a day, and then like basically collapsed near the end of the production because just like, you know. The body is only able to handle so much. Yeah. Did he die after that production? No, he did not die. No, he's he's still alive today. He just uh, okay. He had to take him. He, he just almost died. Yeah, he. I mean, like, yeah, put himself ba- almost basically into the hospital, from what I understand, from from just raw exhaustion. Which you know, not. Uh, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Amazing work. I got the and thank you, Rob Team, for the thing. But also, take care of yourself, buddy. You. Uh, yeah. yeah. No movie's worth your life, buddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, David, let's hear. What did you think about the music? The music, I think the music matched the look very well. I think it's. I think especially towards the end, as we start getting to the conclusion, as we start getting. I wouldn't even necessarily call it a twist. Would you call it a twist? It would be. Uh, I would say it's more of an inevitability. Yeah, like it's kind it's, of. He's 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 reaching towards the fact that what I suspect is in fact true, with. A little cherry on the on the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's as much of a spoiler as spoiler for 1980s The Shining, saying that Jack Nicholson goes crazy at the end of The Shining. It's got a very sixth sense twist. Um, yes, but I would also say it's one of those. Well, yeah, actually, no. It, 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 all right, I would say it's got a sixth sense esque twist in the fact that um, once you realize it, you're like, how did I not see that coming? That said, it does not. Oh. Well, because like, well, the film does a really good. Once again, well, I'll get back to the score here in a little bit. But the the film does a really good job at drawing your attention to other things that pull it away from the obvious. Yeah, in the idea of like, like, oh, you would never think. Oh, of course, this twist makes sense because you're focusing so much on the effects, on the performances, on ever like just little bits and pieces there. 
and all the other weird characters surrounding the main character. A lot of great misdirection. Um, a lot of uh, not even like they're not even like red herrings. They're just parts of a of a mystery that don't quite don't quite tie together. And at the end, you're like, oh, of course, that's what it is. Like one of the one of the big things that I thought was really interesting was that the sheriff at the beginning is not set up as the new sheriff in town. He's like this established guy who's got a wife and everything's fine. And then once you think about it for a minute, knowing the ending, you're like, oh, well, technically he is new there. He just doesn't know it. And that's the big thing Mm -hmm. um, that I think is moving. And just uh, uh, to everyone who is still listening and, well, here's the big spoiler for the end. So it turns out the sheriff is also dead. Just like everybody else there. He's just playing his part. And why is everyone dead, Ken? Well, because the mortuary person is controlling everybody because he's a big crazy old man who's playing God. And that's what crazy old men who play God do. This also had a nice little theme that I think carried over from Zombie. And that was the theme of voodoo. Mm -hmm. Is the... uh, We seem to be on on a real... um, old, Old classic zombie kick. Well, yeah, eye trauma, old classic zombies, <laughs> and voodoo. Um, let's see here. But yeah, but I, I, but with that voodoo theme put into it, I actually think this it, it accompanied the score very well. I think the set pieces, I think the vibe of it, I think they all fit hand in hand. It it was very well paired. Yes, unlike it, it's like having it's like having chicken and pasta with a white wine. You're like this matches very well. Yes, unlike a lot of the movies that we've watched, like the other two movies that we watched so far, which are definitely a series of set pieces, this is a movie with a great story that also has some banging set pieces in, and they balance each other really, really nicely. It's a full meal. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, if you like this, I would also suggest a couple of other movies. Um, Dagon with Stuart Gordon has kind of a similar vibe. Um, it's definitely not nearly as good, but if you're looking for like a good wet uh, Fisherman's Village kind of a movie. Um, it's based on the, one of the H.P. Lovecraft uh, stories. Um, that's really good. Uh, Deadline, a.k.a. Raw Meat, uh, is uh, <laughs> from the same director, is also uh, fantastic. Um, I would say The Thing, again, because it's got the same kind of claustrophobic, um, you don't know who's who and who's up and who's going who's gonna to betray who. Mm-hmm. Um, House by the Cemetery has a lot of the same great spooky haunted house, but kind of in a mean, not ghosty way. Um, and then, uh, obviously, anything by Guillermo del Toro, uh, I would say, falls into... If you love Guillermo del Toro, you're going to love this, as we've said many times already. Yeah. It's... I, I think... I am, I am certainly not disappointed with the choice that I made between the two. I think they both... Between this and Next of Kin, I'm sure they... I, I wouldn't have been disappointed by either. But this is one that I thought the trailer was what convinced me. It was just so weird that I'm like, okay, I like, I like, there's questions that I need answered, and then that was the benefit of this movie being a mystery because I had to understand what was going on. Next of Kin was more, this looks like a really weird version of The Shining, and I have to see that. But this one was like, this one was just a little bit more. Something's poking at the back of my brain. I gotta figure out what the fuck's poking at me. Would you say this is the favorite of the three movies we watched so far? It is so like thus far, I would say easily it is the favorite of the three movies we have watched. Um, David, do you have any final thoughts on this movie? Um, 
once again, I would say this, you know, which I, I imagine this isn't a good thing to say at the end of the podcast, but this is a good movie to go in knowing little to nothing about or have somebody watch it with you who knows nothing about it. That's maybe a good place for this comment because, yeah, it's a little late for that. But, yes, yeah. no, absolutely. <laughs> um, I also would like to uh, pass on a message from my fiance Katie, um, who continuously wants to know what is up with the eye stuff, and could you please stop it? Well, you are the one who technically keeps choosing these movies, so I, I gotta ask, why are you? Why do you keep torturing your fiance? You know, sometimes it's just fun. It's true. That's one. Of, it's one of the great joys that Shudder brings you—the ability you, to hun. traumatize your loved ones. All right. Well, that means it is time for us to choose next week's movie. Oh boy. Now, I've chosen two movies here, uh, one of which is, I, I said I'd change things up a little bit because most of the movies that we've done so far have been older, so I figured I'd find two slightly newer movies. I chose um, 2016's The Love Witch and 2011's The Reef. So, David and I are going to take a moment here, we're going to travel in time, and when we are back, David is going to let you, we're going to watch both of these trailers, and David's going to let you know which of these two movies he has chosen for us to watch for next week. Oh boy. All right, you ready? <laughs> Sorry about that. I've lost my voice a little bit there. All right, David. So, tell me, what did you think about The Reef? <laughs> the Reef. It felt like such a 90s trailer for a 2011 film. So, it did I I feel like that movie still hasn't been pitched to me well by their marketing team. Not that you're not pitching it well. Though I, I will say, calling it open water but with something to do... Is a pretty... Is pretty it, because my main problem with open water is it's, it's a couple who clearly hate each other. They go on a boat and then they go scuba diving and they then get stuck in the ocean and then they fight until they die. And that's... And it's not... It's... For, for a limited production two-hander, well, almost two-hander movie, it is commended for that, because doing anything like that is always tough. Um, this one is, what if a handful of friends flipped their boat over, and then they tried to swim to an island, but then all the ocean stuff that happens in open water, because they're in open water. So there's just stuff to do, which just makes it a little better. Then all the characters don't hate each other, which is... Um, which is one of those things that happens in a lot of movies, especially a lot of low-budget horror movies, where every character hates each other and is despicable, so that way you don't know who's supposed to live and who dies, except for maybe like the one, the one nice one. And you're just like, no, all these people are irritating. I don't like them, and they're getting themselves more in trouble. Just let them all die. Don't... Like, Open Water 2 is a great example of that. A bunch of terrible people make the worst mistakes in the world, make things absolutely worse for each other, and then each die as a result of their own stupidity. And it's just, it's just sad, because it's one of those <laughs> movies where like, they had money, they had opportunity, they had a decent setup, and then just like, hmm. Yeah. What did you think about the trailer for The Love Witch? Um, a, a movie that David Fincher called one of the grooviest movies I've seen in ages. It is certainly that in terms of the trailer. The trailer, between the two trailers, this one, Night and Day, I, I just. <laughs> well, the Smashing Pumpkins song didn't do it for you. No, the Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, granted, don't get me wrong. I love me. I love me some Smashing Pumpkins. But something about a very eccentric man going, "Oh well, 
it's sex magic. Just tickles your fancy. Just tickles my fancy. Just Ra- raises just, your eyebrow. Just titillates me. Um, I'm I'm gonna have to go with the love witch. I'm sorry I keep letting you down on the reef. Oh no, it's perfectly fine. I love me the love witch. I own me the love witch. Um, I'm going to be very excited to talk about the love witch because uh, check out the trailer, ladies and gentlemen. It is one of the coolest looking movies you're going to see in ages, and we're going to talk about that more next week on the Shutter Show. But that brings us to the end of our show today. So, David, let me ask you, do you have any pluggables to plug? Um, I do, as a matter of fact. Um, first of all, I, I mentioned uh, on our first episode that you can um, see me in my most recent project, Serena Waits, which we shot, strangely enough, close to like two years ago, but it's finally gotten some really good distribution, and I've actually gone ahead and brought up, there we go. So, yeah, it's Serena Waits, which was directed by Hunter Johnson, um, for, uh, who was producer at L.A. Horror. I made it with a bunch of really, really cool people. We shot it 90 pages in three days. It was a real challenge, and it is now available on Tubi TV, Prime Video, Apple TV, Google Play, uh, kingsofhorror.com, Vudu, Roku, YouTube, and Microsoft. So, yeah, you can find it in all sorts of places. Fantastic. That's awesome to hear. Where can we find you on the internets? Uh, you can poke and bother me at underscore DW Marlowe on Instagram. Very nice. And I'm Ken Stacknick. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at, at Ken Stacknick. Uh, sorry, just at Ken Stacknick. <laughs> K-E-N-S-T-A-C-H-N-I-K. And you can find both. Uh, you can find us on uh, uh, both Instagram and Twitter uh, at Shutter Show. Uh, and uh, you can also email us if you have any questions, comments, if you just want to tell us that we're doing a great or terrible job uh, at ShutterShow at gmail.com. And uh, we would really appreciate uh, if... As soon as you can leave a review, you leave a review. You can't yet. We're still figuring it out. We're still getting up on our feet here. We appreciate you being with us while we're uh, finding ourselves in this great podcast nation. Yeah, Ken, because um, we've been we've been trying to release this podcast on a couple of different platforms. What are the platforms that we tend to go for the most? Uh, as of right now, we are on. Uh, let's see here. We are on Anchor. We are on. Uh, we are on Stitcher. We are on Spotify. We are on Castbox. We are on Google Podcasts, we are on Breaker, we are on Radio Public, and we should be up on Overcast if everything has gone correctly. Uh, You can also find our episodes uh, on YouTube as well, because right now I'm just trying to make sure it's easy as fine as possible. We're not up on Apple Podcasts yet, but we will be as soon as I can finish arguing with them and get ourselves up there. So until then, uh, David, do you have any final words? This is a fun movie. I highly recommend it. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the internet, good night and good night.